The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it and you wave a flag celebrate <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. Hey gang, welcome back to the Agora Podcast. It's Penguin, as always, here with my co-host, Seth Magora. This is your home for agorism, localism, radical decentralization, and anti-authoritarian concepts. Uh, we have an episode today with just the two of us, uh, no other guests. Got a, um, kind of an interesting topic to get into, but before we get into the top, um, topic, we have a very, very important announcement to make about the show. Uh, Zach? Hey guys, um, so yeah, we set up a Patreon. Um, let me pull it up real quick. Excuse me. Um, so it's a three-tiered Patreon um, with um, a ton of benefits. Um, I'll just I'll just read you some of them here. Um, so definitely. Um, Bonus content um, for uh, all tiers. Maybe we've got uh, early releases, uh, side projects, uh, Q and A's. Um, you know, discounts on merch, um, free merch for certain tiers, and um, a bunch more. Um, I can't seem to pull it up for some reason. Um, and we already have one patron, um, actually Brian Sovereign is our first, um, patron for the podcast. Uh, he signed up for, um, our middle tier, which is, I called it Chaluminati. Um, so if anybody wants to donate to that, I can, um, I could definitely send out a link, um, and um, <clears throat> I had a request from one of our um, fans, and they they asked if they could donate 
with crypto? And I said, absolutely. And um, so they signed up with me personally um, to just send crypto every month and get the same benefits. Um, but I've already got a bunch of content on the Patreon page. Um, but if you'd like to send, um, if you'd like to send crypto every month, uh, please feel free. Uh, the three tiers are three bucks a month, um, which gets you kind of ba basic access and bonus episodes, um, the ability to uh, Q and A with the hosts, and um, that's three bucks a month. And then five bucks a month is. You can come on and do a live Q&A um, and a bunch of other perks, I, I believe. Um, <clears throat> and um, then there's the top tier, which is live video um, video streams with us, um, MP3s of all of our uh, downloadable MP3s, uh, free merch, all that kind of stuff. So we got, we're trying to put a uh, together a bunch of uh, bonus episodes and perks for you guys um and all the proceeds are going to go back into the podcast so um you know no grift no money making schemes here it's just us trying to pay for this kind of stuff so we don't sink a bunch of money into it um but if anybody has any questions reach out to us on twitter or reach out to me on telegram Sekmagora, um and i can get you set up either uh, with the P Patreon link or um, with uh, with some crypto addresses if you'd rather do it in crypto, which is honestly probably better. Um, so hit us up with that. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Seth, for uh, setting up the Patreon, coming up with it all conceptually and actually doing the work to set it up. Um, it's a really great idea. Yeah, I know you've been pushing for it for a while and I, yeah, I've I've never really supported a lot on Patreon, but I know I have been a fan of a lot of creators. I did do like a dollar a month for a couple um, for a while, but uh, it's a great platform um, to kind of just give us a little bit of extra money to work with, you know, for, for the podcast, uh, get some maybe better audio, better equipment, stuff like that. And I know you, you know, need a new mic, so. I do. I'm on a. I'm on my regular laptop mic. My my mic broke, but uh, I might be able to get an actual decent one this time. So that'd be cool. Um, oh well, while we're talking about this, uh, shout out to Brian Sovereign for donating. He's donating five bucks a month. But also shout out to Don Corrosion on Twitter. Uh, they they also signed up for. Um, they're the ones donating uh, crypto to me. So shout out to both of them. Um, okay, and supporting the show. I'm really excited for the Q and A. Um, I hadn't thought about that. I love Q. I there's some of the people that I used to support on uh, Patreons. People have, uh, creators have been really enthusiastic about like their Q and A episodes are really awesome. And I think ours could be similarly like really awesome. Just doing Q and A's from our guests, and it's I love well I love the interaction aspect and. Like you can bring up just a whole slew of topics per episode, so I look yeah, forward to that. It'll keep it interesting too, you know. Uh, get us into some different stuff. Well, it's not just so we're not just like a a, and we already like this, but we're not just a one way thing. We're not just speaking at you. It's a conversation, or it's a way. At least there's 
multiple different ways for you to interact with us, um, the hosts, and in our group chats on Twitter, stuff like that. We definitely want to make it a two-way thing because that's just the way the world works now. And we, we are happy to participate, to engage in discourse, to debate, whatever. Right. Yeah, for sure. I do okay. like the idea of just it being more than just a, a podcast where we talk at people. So that's always good too. Well, no, uh, I mean, I'm doing you, some, you can't um, make short, it. I'm doing some short episodes uh, on like just some homesteading 101. So that'll be coming up um, in the future. I'll do those every so often just for the patrons. Um, so if you guys are yeah. interested in that, um, I think you'd find a lot of value in that. We have full license to, do, to come up with all sorts of cool perks for you guys. So um, please join and contribute. And like I said, we will, like I said, we'll definitely um, put the funds back into the show. Um, anyways, let's get into our topic now. Our topic, basically, we chose to talk about this week is uh, some tweets that we both kind of interacted with recently on Twitter. And sex on Twitter now. I've been on Twitter. Um and let me just go ahead and find that really quickly. Um, you may have uh, seen these come up in your feed. We're talking, let's see, 16,000 likes and two, almost 2,000, over 2,000, almost 3,000 retweets and 2,000 quote tweets. So, uh, so I'll read the first four tweets here. Um, if Reminder, if one in 10 American households raised a half-acre garden and kept 30 and kept 35 laying hens, there would be no industrial egg or vegetable production, level one. If those same households raised 10 hogs per year, it would eliminate in the industrial pork industry, level two. If those same households or another neighbor, neighbor household kept two dairy cows, not only would industrial dairy be eliminated, but American dairy production would triple, level three. Obviously, the same government would incentivize these practices by offering tax relief to any family that undertakes them with integrity. Sadly, the American state is occupied by actors who despise the American nation, but that won't be true for much longer. Somehow, I added somehow, but uh, yeah, so um, I want to quickly um, kind of address. So, when I retweeted one of these tweets I, that I encountered, let me see, something here I retweeted anyway, I um, I didn't really look up, read it look over it that well. I liked the gist of it. I didn't go into the numbers. I didn't read the thread. Um, it was kind of an offhand thing. And then all of a sudden, um, the thing went viral. And it's obviously with all those quote tweets and everything, you had people calling it a fascist, ridiculous, Maoist, ridiculous, and then economically illiterate. And and some people maybe that I would respect their opinions more. And uh, that, that kind of does... In fact, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely understand those kind of arguments a little better. Um, I like to tweet, and I retweeted the tweet because it was, I might have been another tweet by the same guy even, but uh, on, on the same gist, I like the gist of the tweet. I like the point of the tweet. I chose, and I, I put out a clarification, like, I read the tweet really um, extra charitably, and I like the gist of the tweet. Maybe not every household. He's proving a point what if it was 10 percent? what if it was five percent what if you know just well distributed all over the place um the point of the tweet was he went and did these numbers and kind of gave an extreme example i like the gist of the tweet for sure um how it would be actually implemented i can't tell i can't prescribe to you the plan 
the plan for uh, the, the five-year plan for where I'm going to, I'm saying the same hours little thing, but the five-year plan for revolutionized uh, food production down to the bike shed, you know, plan anarchy down to the, the construction of the bike shed, you know, like they always say. Um, but yeah, I liked, I liked the point he was making and he apparently like methodologically, he came up with like the acreage to use in the different productions and divided it by the number of people, uh, population and whatnot, or households um, to come up with these numbers. So it's not necessarily like this is the plan, but I think you just crunched the basic numbers to prove a point. Um, what did you think of it, Seth? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I overall agreed with the sentiment of the tweet. Um, and I, you know, I appreciated that um, the the point, like you said, the point he was making was like, hey, look, if we just, a lot of us produced more of our own food, we wouldn't need these factory farms. And that's very true. Um, I don't think that everyone in the entire planet needs to produce all of that food. And also 35 chickens for one family seems like a lot, um, just off off the, the top of my head. But um and there was a lot of pushback, like, oh, well, we need, you know, specialization and scale, right? Um, but in comparison to, I, I'm, I'm further aligned, or I am more aligned with that person tweeting it um, than I am with, like, the current agricultural system, you know, where we have this sort of hyper-specialized, very centralized agricultural system, which is subsidized by the government and protected. So if we could just remove that subsidy, uh, subsidy and protection of these big agricultural firms, um, you might see something more along the lines of what this person is describing, where either whether it's on the individual level or uh, on the local level, you might see people producing more of their own food. And this, this should be obvious to anyone listening to our podcast that that is not only likely but also a desirable goal. Um, I don't believe that, um, especially with food production, especially being a perishable good, I don't believe that scale really benefits you too much, uh, past a certain extent because you have only a certain amount of time that that food is good. Um, which is why they have to, these large firms have to pump them with all these preservatives to keep them to where they can last from the farm to the truck to the warehouse, to the grocery store, to, to you, that's a lot of time in between there. Um, and that sort of erodes the benefits of scale. So it might be cheaper and more beneficial to have smaller local food, food production that is much more closer to you or, or you producing. And I'm not saying everyone has to produce everything that they need, but um, or you producing some of your food and, and buying some other things, you know, more locally. And then, you know, trucking in things from further away that you can't get in your area, that's also fine too. But I think it's going to be a healthy combination of these things that arise organically. But I think it's going to look very similar to what this person is describing. Now, this person on Twitter, they were they were advocating that the government actually subsidized this. Um, but I, and I don't advocate for that, but I think if we could just remove subsidies for these large corporate farms you wouldn't have to subsidize small farms people would just start you know producing their food uh on on a local level um that's kind of my you know off the cuff 
thoughts on the subject, but we can go deeper into it. Yeah, let's do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I generally agree with like the basic um, gist of what you're saying. Um, so let's let's look at agricultural subsidies. Uh, obviously, there are plenty um, massive subsidies because, like you know, food production and food security is like in the strategic interest of countries. So, um, food production is heavily subsidized and heavily uh, centralized in the United States. Uh, even your your average farmer is not some guy plowing his field. It's a person with over a million dollars income and a large amount of invested capital and employing a lot of workers, a lot of times migrant workers, but a lot of workers in pretty rough conditions. Um, we're talking about, you know, from the Marxist perspective, or, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a bourgeois occupation. They got like uh they're generally educated and uh, like in, you know, heavily uh, invested and heavily capitalized. Um, and a lot of them aren't going to necessarily under the current conditions be profitable. Actually a lot of, um, so we know about some of the problems with large scale, like industrial farming, but even on the small scale, a lot of these on the quote unquote small scale, but on the smaller scale as currently exists, this is, uh, these people have, you know, these, these farms are often considered tax shelters or they have huge tax breaks. And so even if you are able to capitalize to the point of like investing in one of these quote unquote small farms, um, based on like market, you know, prices and, and the, co the cost associated of um, modern agriculture as it's currently practiced, like these uh, farms really are, have, are subsidized one way or another by the government. Now you can argue in a lot of cases, subs subsidies, tax breaks, subsidies, you, you know, not taxing is not necessarily a subsidy, but I think. I believe I think it is. A, yeah, I mean, it, it, when, we're, when we're trying to look at things, realistically as far as in the status quo you know context yeah I, I think we have to look at it that way and and we know on large scales that uh prices are have been you know very much controlled kind of in a way that they were throughout all industries for several decades in the middle of the 20th century but it continues to be you know because food such an important resource all food is obviously like the main important resource of a, of a community of a country that uh prices are you know, kind of uh, regulated by the government, and there's a lot of a uh, lot of waste. A lot of people paid not to produce, keep fields fallow and stuff. And um, so, so prices are always kept artificially high for these farmers to keep them in business. Um, now, what you said is very important about kind of uh, decentralized and uh, localized production is that food, nutritious food, and this goes back to a group chat argument I was having like a few hours ago. So kind of hit me what you just said. Food production is, food is perishable. Fresh food, nutritious food is perishable. It needs to, you know, it, it, there are costs associated with, there's tremendous cost and logistic complexity in getting the fresh foods, the meats, the, especially the proteins and the dairy, um to stores or you know adding preservatives to in into other stuff to the stores um on time and a lot of gets thrown out on that level too because 
it's just a balancing act that can't be done without a tremendous amount of waste having producing these things in kind of central locations and distributing them out to all the different grocery stores and all the different communities and um it's it can't really it, they're doing the best they can it's amazing that they're able to do what they can and only waste what a third of it considering um what happens and then you get a lot of you know government subsidies of different grains and staple crops um and those go into uh, a lot of processed food manufacturing of more shelf stable foods and i think we, we see an artificial amount of sh uh, shelf stable foods on the grocery store shelves um so not things that necessarily just get preservatives well they do have a lot of preservatives but the, yeah they're they're shelf stable and they're the kind of foods that are very uh carbohydrate rich you know kind of grain based in a lot of cases and or just pumped with preservatives um and you know the more shelf stable something is generally less fresh less healthy it is and less nutrition less nutrition it is just a, it's just kind of a fact of like processing food um so you know I, the amount of costs that could be decreased kind of throughout the supply chain if you had more localized production and there is local production in a lot of places but it's it's not to the extent where you can stock the shelves the way they are now if you did have more localized production throughout the supply chain costs would be drastically lower in getting fresh and nutritious foods to all different communities hey all sec here I wanted to tell you about agoristacres.com. They're a seed company, uh, friends of the show. Uh, this is where I get my seeds from uh, here at the homestead. Um, they've got a lot, a big, wide variety of seeds. Um, they got free shipping on orders over uh, 20 bucks. It's fast shipping. Um, if you place an order, it'll be shipped next business day. A lot of cool packaging. And you can pay with uh, crypto right on the site. Um, and they're they're agorists. And uh, they also believe in the, the importance of producing your own food. Um, and um, they have a wide variety of seeds that you won't necessarily find in a lot of other places. A lot of cool varieties. Interesting um, seeds. And they can, if there's something that you're looking for, they can probably get it for you too. So... Um, Check out agoristacres.com, and if you use promo code uh, Agora10, uh, you'll save yourself 10%. Thanks, guys. Bye. No, absolutely. And, you know, and they have to pump it. And none of this is healthy for you, all these preservatives. Um, you know, I remember I, I was listening to a Brian Sovereign episode, uh, Sovereign Tech, and they were talking about how there's a I think it's in the Netherlands. It might be in Iceland. I can't remember. Um, there's a burger that they uh, has been sitting there from Burger King, and it's five years old, and it still looks brand new. It, and that's because they have to pump it full of all these preservatives, which, you know, some might say are uh, the cause of a lot of health problems is, is all the chemicals that they have to put in our food just to make it last long enough to where they can sell it to us, you know. Um, so that, that has a whole lot of health externalities. And um, back to the subsidy thing, I just want to be clear on the tax thing. So if the state is robbing from all of us and then gives their corporate friends the ability to not be robbed at all, 
that is giving them an obvious advantage in the market. Now, for some people, they might want these people to be taxed or paid their fair share, but that's not my position. <laughs> I would rather the playing field be level. We all don't get robbed, and we and the state does not protect these firms. And uh, man, with the agricultural, I did a lot of research in the agricultural system, and I mean they're paying some to farm certain things. They're paying other farmers not to farm at all. They're just they're screwing with the the sort of the supply and demand so much that it's what we have now for a food system is nothing like what we would see in an actual free society because they've screwed with it to the point where it's it's uh, unrecognizable from an actual market. It's um, all of these companies are are gaining their money through the pol political means, you know. Um, so none of these. It's not like me and you and and farmer Joe down the road exchanging value for value. It's it's nothing like that. It's all political means for most large scale commercial farms. Now there's some smaller farms that really do um, that that don't take obviously don't take money from the government. Some of them do, some of them don't, and that deal with their local community, and that still exists. But you know, um, like you said, if without all these subsidies in, in an actual free market with, with food that production that was more decentralized, it would take so much cost out of the system for the end consumer because I don't know if you've ever been to a farmer's market, but often you can get it a lot cheaper buying direct from your local farmer rather than um, buying it from the store, which has had to go through like several layers of middlemen before it ever gets to you. Now, we've talked about how they subsidize these factory farms, but the other thing they do is disincentivize average people, like the individual people, from um, growing their own food. They, in a, Zoning is the most obvious example of this, but local codes, municipal, it's, it's, a lot of this happens on the local level where it's much more, you know, it's much more difficult to actually and often illegal to grow your own food on your own land in most places, uh, especially when you get more towards suburban and urban areas. Now you couple that with they're dissuading us from growing our own food, and they're also subsidizing these centralized, hyper-specialized industry, uh, agricultural factory farms to where they've skewed it all in one direction. So you, it, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that absent all of that, you would see things um, mainly for economic reasons. Um, you would see things go towards a more decentralized model of food production. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that everyone needs to grow all of their own food, but I think a lot more people would grow some to most of their food um, or you'd have sort of community, uh, community sort of centered around local farms, um, even in, and I think Kevin Carson talked about this in one of his books, I can't remember, but cities themselves would even look much different. It would be sort of a mismatch of urban and rural all in the same kind of area because they'd have to, um, sort of be closer to their food production. 
right? So you'd have high rises, but then like a small community farm, you know, just a couple of blocks down, and it would it wouldn't be the same situation as it is uh, at least in current times. Um, so, what do you think about that? Do you agree or? All right, I'm back. Um, so yeah, I I largely agree with that. Uh, we have to understand even right now, uh, what we consider small farmers are still uh, ha have heavy uh, incentives, government incentives or uh, tax breaks. And like I said, farms are largely considered uh, tax shelters. They're average. They're not exactly farmer Joe in the uh, sense that I think in the popular conception of like uh, the, 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 the popular mythos of the uh, just like family farm um, in reality is heavily automated, heavily capitalized. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, leveraging technology and um, uh, having economies of scale to a certain extent and specializing, having a society of specialization, whereas, you know, having less than a large percent of people um, engaged in food production to allow them to do other things, a totally great things. Um, so I, I don't want to kind of, I do give some credence to the arguments that, that the idea that everybody's or every community is going to like grow all of their food is going to be really feasible or desirable. But to some levels, like what you like, some of the world that you kind of hinted at, I think do make a lot of sense. So, like we talked about, um, at every level of the from production at the farm to uh, distribution to you know sell um, like wholesale distribution to the retail, there's you know a cost added to the price. that's supposed to be uh, supposedly a value added, you know, on each level. Um, to get to the consumer. So that's why you're able to basically, if you purchase from the local producer with a drastically lower price, that's why you're able to actually buy in smaller quantities and still potentially get it at a lower price. Some cases you can't now, and all, but in, in general, you'll see, you'll see a lot of that. You'll see a lot of production uh, able to kind of reach people without these large distribution networks, which I'm not, again at a tremendous cost to the to the food. So uh, wholesale prices of a lot of this stuff is very very low, and um, with the technology that we have, we could we could definitely cut out I think a lot of that. But you'd have you'd have to see what much more of what you describe, much more of a patchwork of like urban commercial, residential, suburban, and areas that are able to produce food. In addition to like some of the stuff that we've talked about, like, you know, urban, maybe urban food production and backyard food production, kind of some of the stuff maybe hinted at in the tweets that we uh, talked about. Um, and yeah, I, I think that if we kind of cut out the centralization, um, it would help just because of the perishability factor of food and the fact that all that waste and all that transport and all of that um, distribution on the wholesale and the retail level, that's like, that again, adds uh, tremendous cost to what um, we got to remember is the basic need for all people. And, you know, if we had more of a direct relationship with our food production, I you'd see a lot more higher quality and, and possibly um, some better, 
uh, production and, and growing methods. Um, so because these large factory farms need, they're worried about volume, right? So they're less concerned about the quality of each individual unit, we'll say, you know, um, whereas a smaller farm is um, more likely to use, you know, regenerative methods and create a, a better quality uh, product, you know, whatever that is, whether that's milk, eggs, um, it, it, when you're dealing with those the sheer, just the sheer volume of production, there's no possible way to like ensure quality and, and soil um, composition and, and all of these things. You just, there's no way. Now on the other side of that, <clears throat> if people started, I've been homesteading a long time. You would be very surprised how little it takes to grow a ton of food, like more than you could possibly eat. Um, so we, you would have like just the, the sheer, if we return to like a more decentralized uh, system of food production, you would, the quality would increase, the cost would decrease. And also you'd have just the sheer abundance of food would be unbelievable. Like this person said, they, you, every family would need 35 chickens. That's a lot of chickens, man. Uh, I don't know if they're talking about meat birds there, um, but um, it says laying hens. So laying no. hens? No, oh, wait. Oh, okay. like listen, listen, listen. That a chicken, like at least a lot of breeds of chickens, will lay one egg a day in most of the year, except for you know winter. Winter they'll lay maybe a couple a week if you're lucky, but for throughout most of the year. A chicken's going to lay one egg a day. Dude, I had, you know, six chickens. I've I, I've had six chickens before. You know, I've had a lot more and I've had a lot less. Six chickens alone is like, man, you're get everyone, you and everyone you know is sick of eggs because you're giving them away. You can't, you can't give them away anymore because you, dude, that's, if you have a family of like, at the time, I had a family of four. <clears throat> and if you have six eggs a day, man, somebody's eating an egg and a half a day. Like, you just can't eat that many eggs. Do you know what I mean? Like, so 35 eggs, if you're just talking about, or 35 chickens, if you're just talking about eggs, that is an insane amount of eggs. Like, if everyone did that, we'd have, like, you'd be hauling away eggs to the dump by the truckload. Do you know what I mean? So... <clears throat> You would need far less if you're just talking about eggs. You would need far less to just produce the eggs that you need, and even the eggs that you need, and your neighbors and your family in the local area needs. You, I mean, half a you know half a dozen or a dozen chickens, and that's more than everyone you know. More eggs than everyone you know can eat. So that being said, once you get into meat birds, well, then you're um. You're talking about a different thing. You might need more birds, but you're you're if you're doing meat birds, you're going to be breeding them, so you're going to be constantly turning over. So you might even have less than thirty-five. Still, you just have like a constant rotation of 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 chickens. Now, the same thing goes for literally anything you produce. A lot of people talk about homesteads. They're like, "Oh, you need you know five, ten acres, twenty acres." I'm like, "No, listen, I have thirteen acres here." 
but we probably produce food on, I don't know, maybe three quarters of an acre. A lot of it's paid. And some of it, I got other stuff, you know, my business and equipment and stuff. But in terms of producing food, we produce way more than we could possibly eat and can. We end up giving a lot of it away on like three quarters of an acre. Um, we could probably grow all the food we could possibly ever eat, you know, because we still shop at the store for certain things um, on that small amount of land with relatively not a lot of labor. Now, um, and that's us giving it away. That's us canning a lot of it. That's us eating, obviously eating it. Like we grow so much food that we're sick of it by the time end of the growing season. It's like you can't even eat another squash, you know? So I think that if not only is this a desirable goal and a good strategy, but I also think that this is the most likely thing that most people could grow fairly common items and you would have a, 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 um, you know, like tomatoes and peppers and your basic produce stuff, you know, and some chicken so you can grow some eggs. I think a lot of people can do that. It's fairly easy. And I think you would see a lot more of that. And then for some of your more difficult to grow items or, you know, more exotic items, um, you would, you know, you'd, you'd outsource that to sort of a local farm. And that's largely how I think food production would occur. And you'd have so much food that I'm, the value of it would be very little. And I also think that this actually solve a lot of hunger too. Cause like I said, when I grow food, there's so much of it that, I mean, I, by the end, I can't give it away. You know, like I grow like four zucchini plants that create that, that produces like, two to three zucchini a day. Now, I love zucchini, but I can't eat that stuff every day. So we end up canning and freezing some of it, and then we end up giving it away, and then all the people we around us that we know are sick of zucchini. We're making breads out of the stuff. Cobb was like, we have, more, we have zucchini just from like four plants. We've got zucchini coming out of our ears. Can't do it. Running out of stuff to do with it, you know? So it wouldn't take very much to produce a ridiculous abundance to the point where we have too much food and no one's going hungry. You're just giving the stuff away because you got too much of it, you know? So like, so when we have abundance, if somebody's going without and we have a shit ton that we can't even get rid of, you know, you, th- we'd be given food to homeless. No problem because it, it caught literally it cost me nothing to produce my produce it cost me nothing. I mean, it cost me like a couple hundred bucks to start up maybe in, in like, no, not even. It didn't even really cost me a little bit in seeds, I guess, a little bit of fencing. I'm into it for maybe a hundred bucks, 150 maybe. And I, I produce just like tons and tons and tons and tons of food. Now, not everybody's going to want to do this. Not everybody will. Not everybody will be able to. Um, but I think a lot more would, and even the ones that don't, I think they'd be buying most of their stuff from sort of, uh, you know, either a community farm or a local farm, something along those lines, um, as opposed to these large subsidized, uh, factory farms. Um, and I, I also think this at, 
we as anarchists need to think about this as a viable strategy as well for achieving uh, a stateless society. But we can go on to that in a bit. What are your thoughts on what I just said? Sorry, I muted. Um, yes. Uh, so I want to go back to the very first thing you said, um, talking about the quality and the nutrition of the food. So like right now, high quality, artisanal, organic, additive free, all that stuff. That's locally produced, small produced, batch free, cage free is pretty easy to get, but um, eggs, cage free eggs and stuff. But most of this stuff's all of this stuff's available. It's available at a premium. It's available in artisanal forms. It's available as a as a luxury good, and obviously, like these things could be produced as not luxury goods, but as basically staples, as, as basic commodities, um, on, under the kind of you know uh, context that we're talking about here. So that's the first of all thing. It's like all these things exist, but they exist as luxury goods just because excuse me, the alternatives um, are, excuse me, uh, subsidized, encouraged, incentivized on, on various levels. Um, so I don't want to like talk bad about farming at scale. I don't want to talk bad about like, you know, to some extent the distribution methods and anything, even some more contentious things, but certain applications of technology and selective breeding and maybe even genetically modified but that's that's largely not actually being done um but and that's controversial but all these things allow us to produce so much in abundance and they allow it will allow places uh that have less food security to produce in abundance but right now um i i think you were kind of pointing out we are at the point of not potential like what you were talking about um in your context and if you expanded it but just now we are in essentially post scarcity with food. And I know we've actually talked about this at length in one of our, I think our last episode with the two of us, or maybe the one before that. There's so much food. They obviously, like I said, pay to keep the fields fallow. They throw out, they have to throw out because of the just the distribution methods, like a third of the food in the um, grocery stores, similarly in restaurants, um, just because of perishability reasons. Um, but so with this setup, there is a lot of waste, but it just proves that we're basically post-scarcity with this stuff. And 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 if you had, I don't, I'm not talking about uh, the guy crunching the numbers and saying 100% of households. I'm talking about 10%, 5%, 2.5%. If you had, but it distributed um, throughout the country. And like I said, in kind of a patchwork form, I think we could have uh a uh, post scarcity that's, that's something that we can actually grasp and actually uh, implement instead of like this kind of potential post scarcity that just allows us to waste more and to, and to centralize more and to distribute out from a uh, centralized centralized farming. Um, and small farms, like I said, do exist, but they still exist on a pretty large scale and they still exist. Um, I mean, I, I think in many cases they're a step in the right direction. Farmers markets are stepped in the right direction, like artisan butchers exist it's it's a step in the right direction but these are still luxury goods you're still often paying a premium um not in all cases um but yeah and it, you'd get a lot of uh different varieties and 
amounts quantity if you have special dietary restrictions if you're jewish and eat kosher or if you're muslim like me and you eat halal or kosher um that would be a lot easy it'd be a lot easier uh to get fresh and not like frozen i mean it's incredibly difficult i'll, I'll tell you from experience to get like fresh food um and there's people that do it or allow you to slaughter the food and there's all sorts of people that have kind of stepped in these niches there's people out there that know what's up make a little bit of money but uh and, and god bless them they're kind of doing what we're talking about right now but uh you know there's a lot of hurdles a lot of incentivized incentivization to do things on and on a large scale industrial level and even like a medium to small scale it's it's still not distributed on the level that i think we you know we want um and then you, you have all the uh not only like a distribution costs and uh well, all the, the value added or the, the so-called value added at all different levels of distribution, wholesale and retail, you also have the um, cost of regulation. So like the the, the amount of uh, like USDA inspections and amount of like uh, compliance, I mean, and, and, and rightfully so to keep, uh, you know, large scale meatpacking plants uh, sanitary and and prevent them from spreading disease. Um, not trying to valorize like the like the USDA specifically, but like large scale meatpacking plants are just places where, I mean, the, the way they operate, what they do, and the scale and the speed that they operate, they're uh, very difficult and require very stringent regulations and stuff for to uh, prevent the spread of disease and the spread prevent the spread of tainted meat. And they actually do. A, an amazing job considering what they do but i mean i think the risk of that and the cost associated with that would be uh drastically reduced with reducing the scale for example uh or yeah reducing the scale of individual meat production and like localizing it and, and uh just kind of removing that and um it's no longer a luxury good necessarily maybe we bring back the local butcher or small scale you know meat processing i think that would be something that we could do and yet we lose some of the benefits of scale and and uh you know mechanization and stuff but i think the technology allows us now to kind of bypass having that kind of level of scale and i think again it all comes back to reducing costs for these things i think we can do the, do these things at realistic cost outlays and realistic realistic prices for people See, this is the thing that I, I don't think there is benefits to scale here. So, like, okay, there is in the sense that they can produce much higher volume, right? But there's so much cost associated with, um, how do I explain this? I, we just talked about it. So it's you have to have this huge central location that produces so much of our food. But now... You're so far away from your end consumer. So now you have to pay, you know, to ship it, to store it, to freeze it, to, you know, process it, to all, all of these things. All the, You have to pay for all of these steps until you get to the end consumer, right? Where well, let's, is, let's just point out that you're not storing, like, you're not storing tires. You're storing a very perishable item that needs to get to where it needs yes. to go and each step along the way is it has to be very uh tightly scheduled and coordinated or you're going to be throwing out a lot more than even a third of it yes and that's why i can go to my a local farm and i can buy things much cheaper even though that 
the um, they're working at a smaller scale. So the benefits to scale are actually reverse in this case, mainly because of transportation costs offsets the uh, um, the benefits of scale for these uh, of these agricultural companies, which is mainly producing volume. Now they might be able to sell to their wholesaler much cheaper than I can buy from a local farmer, but it takes a lot to get from there to me. You know what I mean? Whereas if I go directly to all right, so let's say Archer Daniels Midland produces whatever it is, a, a grain, okay? And they can produce that much in much larger volume than my local farmer. And then they can sell it much cheaper than my local farmer, but to a wholesaler, not to me. They're never going to sell to me. So, then that you know that wholesaler they have to rush it they you know they have to put it in re refrigerated trucks store it in refrigerated warehouse you know ship it to the, wherever it's going but you know it's it's a couple of weeks later before it ever gets to me and by that by the time I buy that product the cost is way through the roof than um what Archer Daniels whatever benefits of scale Archer Daniels Midland um you know had from producing such high volume. So you turn around. So now I can buy these the same produce or meat or whatever it is for my local farmer for cheaper than I can get it in the store. Now, like I said, it's probably cheaper than what Archer Daniels Midland or any of the, you know, Angus beef, any of these big factory farms can sell it to their wholesalers for. Um, but it's, it's still much cheaper than say market price, obviously, because, um, this is what the farmer would sell it to their wholesalers for. You know what I mean? So I don't, th I don't see, I don't see the benefits of scale here other than just being able to produce high volume for me as a consumer, it is much more cheaper for me to buy from a local producer um, or produce it myself. And I get much higher quality than I would from these corporate firms. So to me, that's a one win. Now, uh, you might say that these, as it currently exists, these local smaller farms don't produce enough to actually feed all of us. And that's probably true. But is that because um, is that because these large firms are efficient or because they're subsidized and incentivized? You know, the, the, the amount of local farms that exist now might not be able to feed us. But would we see a lot more of those um, without the subsidy? of these of these corporate firms to where they could feed us in a very kind of ad hoc you know hodgepodge kind of way um you know you couple that with us producing our own food and so on i i think we could produce well you know more than enough of much higher quality um and i don't think there is actually benefits to scale here what do you think hey it's sec i wanted to tell you guys about cozy graphics she is a uh uh, she's local to me. She's in our Freedom Cell. Uh, very like-minded indiv individual. Uh, she is starting a, a graphics company. Uh, so this spot is for all your you entrepreneurs out there. For your graphics and advertising needs, call Cozy Graphics. She, she provides creative custom solutions like logo design, brochures, and flyers. Leave behind cards. 
business cards, menus, banners, and posters, vehicle magnets, booklets, and catalogs. To schedule a free consultation, call Cosima at area code 865-544-8623. And I can vouch for this person. I know them personally. Um, very, very cool and decent human being. And again, she's very like-minded. And um, so check her out. Um, she's just starting out. And um, get send her your business if you need it. Thanks. No, I agree. I agree. I think uh, we should look at the big picture here. So historically, I don't like to usually go this far back in history, but you, um, an early civilization, you might have had 80% of the population devoted to, uh, for, to food production, and you have 20% they can specialize in, in the urban centers, the market centers, uh, the city-states, you know, producing pottery and producing weapons and bronzeware way back when. And then also, the, you know, a small number of administrators and leaders and whatnot. And then you get the, the progress of civilization has been decreasing the number the percentage of human beings in a society that are devote have to devote their lives, their occupation, their year round and seasonal, but year round and 24 hours a day uh, to food production for the society at large. So you get down to 80%, 75, 60, 50, 40. And now I don't know, you're at some minuscule number now and that's, the benefits of technology and to some extent centralization um, because that's the way it's gone. Um, and I think if you even got down to like 2%, 1%, I don't even know, um, maybe even a little bit less than 1%, you could have, um, and, and you'd certainly have more people, but I think you could, be, you could benefit from far cheaper and more available food. So not only is the price lower, but it's more available because, I mean, if the price – we produce food pretty cheaply We're we're like uh, theoretically post scarcity, but that doesn't mean the food is available to everyone. And, and, and again, you say the food is almost valueless when you have too much of it. And, and you clearly will. I mean, the amount of just learning from talking to you, the amount of uh, land and labor that is, is required to produce a decent amount of food um, when you're not wasting it. And that's an important point when you're not having it perish in the supply chain, when you're not wasting it just in, in gaps and falling through the cracks in the supply chain um, is, is a tremendous amount of food. So it will not be only exist at a lower price that will be more available. And uh, we can kind of, you know, with that level of basic post scarcity and low prices, I think the amount of people, amount more people in society that are um, to being devoted to food production, it's no longer a premium for society. So at this level of technology, uh, human labor is is being shut out more and more by automation and, and just more technology being Im implemented in all sorts of uh, fields. You're going to see that drastically. So there's going to be a bunch of people with nothing to do, basically, just their price of their labor is just minuscule. And we're not talking, I mean, the profession of attorneys is going to be drastically cut by automation because it's a lot of it's just contracts and stuff um, and will and drawing wills and stuff, but not, not so service workers, industrial workers, um, everything. And there's really no 
no downside to increasing uh, participation in agriculture in that environment, especially when you're leveraging the kind of technology that we have now. I mean, just tremendous, tremendous advances in biotechnology and other stuff to allow us to, to produce incredible amounts of food in a great quantities and qualities uh, with uh, very little land and labor or much less land and labor intensive practices. Yeah. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, going back to how, you know, uh, many of us need to actually um, de devote our lives to producing the food. It's, it's less and less. And, you know, some people might say, well, you know, you know, I don't want to produce my own food. I go to work so somebody else can produce the food and I can just buy it from them. And that, that works out better. But it actually doesn't require a ton of labor, extra labor to um, produce most of your own food. It really doesn't. It's really not a lot of work. It's, you know, farm, you know, farming is hard. I'm not going to say it's not, but um it's a, a lot of labor at like certain parts of the year and then not a lot of labor for most of it. And it's, it's just kind of doing itself. Plus seeds are cheap dirt, you know, soil is pretty cheap. It's not a lot of over, you know, cost overhead to like kind of just grow a lot of your own food. And, you know, um, so it's, it's not like you're, you're taking on another full-time job to produce your food. You know what I mean? It's like, you probably spend more time mowing your lawn than it would take to produce food. I'm not even kidding. So especially once you get set up, like the setup's kind of, you know, there's some work in that. But once you get set up, it's kind of just planting and picking and watering. It's not, it's really not that hard. So, um, and if you're producing your own food, you're less reliant on whatever source of income you have especially if you produce a lot more things for yourself, you're less reliant on whatever, you know, um, economic downturn might, might occur or, um, you know, problems with your job. You're, you're, it just gives you a little more wiggle room to know that, well, at least, at least if I, you know, my job, my boss is a prick, uh, I can quit my job and, you know, I'll, <laughs> I at least got food on the table. I at least got stuff I can eat cause it's out in the backyard, you know? Less exposure so, to the cash nexus. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. And um, back to your uh, um, local farms and, and, and people kind of like already these options occurring. So there's two things for like a solution to this problem that um, if you do not have the ability to produce your own food and you don't have the ability to produce your own livestock, there's two things. There's herd shares right now. So you can actually just buy into like um, with your local farmer. It's like uh, almost like a membership and you can buy in and you get like a portion of, you know, whatever livestock we're talking about, you know, cows, pigs, uh, chickens, and you just buy into the herd and then you get a certain amount of meat and it's usually much cheaper than you would ever buy at the store. It's much better quality and you have a food source outside of, the corporate farms. Also, there's something that's called community supported agriculture, which is a very similar concept. Um, it's usually a big community farm and you buy in um, a share um, 
you can either usually do that through um, either like literally buying in with money or a lot of them will do like uh, you can take part in the labor. So you go out there half a day on Saturday and you end up getting a whole bunch of food whenever the, the harvest comes in. So that's a, a good resource for people who maybe don't have, you know, if you live in an apartment or something, that's a good resource. And these things exist all around. So that's a good um, good, good alternative if you don't have a place for a garden or chickens or anything like that. Um, so these things kind of already exist and they're becoming more and more popular. And the way groceries are going up right now, for the amount of labor it would put it for you to put for the amount of labor you would put into growing your own food, you're saving a lot of money at the grocery store right now. Like you're, you, it's, you put very little into, into producing your food. You'd create a lot of, of food for yourself. And if you actually probably did the math, you'd probably be getting paid a lot of money because of how expensive groceries are right now. So, Right now, it makes sense more than ever. But as a strategy going forward, um, for us as anarchists, I think this is po possibly one of the most important strategies um, for creating a, a parallel society and also combating the state in the long term. And if you think about this in terms of warfare, which for some reason I often do, you know, if you if you let your enemy produce your food for you well you've already lost You're, you have no hope of making any kind of reasonable change or winning anything if we do not produce our own food and i don't mean like all, every one of us has to produce all the food but we if we have food production that exists on an individual level and exists outside of these large corporate firms which are essentially the state anyway state controlled at least um if we have access and the ability to produce these things outside of that, that is one step in the right direction of um, having, um, you know, uh, the, the foundation for which to build a, a new society or combat the state in any way. When, until we can do that, we, anything else you do is, 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 um, is a temporary measure at best because they could just starve you out. Uh, awesome. yeah. you know. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to. I want to just reiterate because I kind of just thought this up on the fly, and I, I think this is a real game changer. Is that the, uh, you know, when we look at, uh, you know, the potential future of automation and unemployment levels, uh, both cyclical and, you know, potentially really increasing due to the lower demand from labor from from an you know economy that's very service based, that's very um, automated. That uh, just from in economic terms, we can say that for various reasons, I would say all technological really, the average productivity of of the American worker has gone up and up and up and up. And there's all kinds of arguments we can have based on that information that I'm not interested in having. But what we do know is that we are going to get to the point where there is a, there will be a vast there will be a cliff or at least like uh, a drop off of um, demand for a lot of labor. And like I said, it'll be very distributed throughout all levels of, of, of a lot of different income levels here. Uh, so you're going to have a bunch of people and we're always saying, look, they'll find stuff to do. They'll find stuff to do. Now in this current context, I'm not sure how, how you pay the bills. I mean, sure. Sure. Uh, the freedom and the, or, 
market economy and liberalism and stuff maybe can figure some something out here but i think it maybe people could be like poets and work on um you know side projects and 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 live off of investments i don't know what, how that's going to work i can't predict the future but what i do know is that there'll be a large pool of people um there won't be a disincentive to increase the amount of labor and total total laborers going into full-time food production on a local and community level um and i think that's a huge game changer and i think also the lower capital outlays with more advanced technology um with one big barrier being like the availability of land but like lower but again then you can also produce on lower quality land i think I think that's what makes this possible. I think that we could get to the point where we start we start by first seeing the localized and art, you know somewhat artisanal production of food is like a luxury, and then maybe a security thing, and then maybe a security uh, you know a food security against economic disorder, other kind of man-made crisis, uh, supply chains just not working out, even not for. You know a protest or anything they're just not working out um inflation so you're taking stuff out of the cash nexus so you're you're localizing the economy um you can in various ways like fight the effects of inflation there um and you don't have the disincentive that of of putting more people into um that and taking them out of the larger workforce because there's a less of a demand for labor so i think that it's one of those kind of like it's like the government says that this program will pay for itself. But I think really like to some extent, one hand of this does wash the other. Hey, sec here. I wanted to tell you guys about Agora print. Uh, this guy's a friend of my, ours, um, friend of my ladies as well. Uh, known him for a while. Very like-minded individual, um, hardcore agorist. Uh, he owns a uh, t-shirt company, printing shop. Um, that's at agorisprint.org and uh, he's printing some shirts for us for the podcast he's printing some shirts for uh, he will be printing some shirts for my business uh, he takes uh, you know fiat bitcoin gold silver barter he's he's up for all of that um, so go check him out at uh, agorisprint.org Thanks. No, I think you're exactly right. And I think that's exactly how it's going to go. You know, that those steps you laid out. And I think we're already seeing it in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you're, you've got a lot more people that are more interested in moving out to the country, growing their own food, you know, getting involved into, you know, more community gardening and um, there's a lot more knowing where their food comes from. Yeah, there's a lot more local emphasis on local and artisanal and small scale um, food products and just products in general out there. That's a thing that did not. That's a thing that's coming back from the you know mass industrialization of the '50s that we've kind of talked about. I, I I think it is something that just needs to become a thing to the point where it's no longer a luxury. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's just one of the. It's definitely a thing. I see it everywhere. Yeah, you're definitely right. And um, I think you're right that um, you've got to see it come more out of necessity um, in the future. You know, I don't want to, you know, not to be too doom and gloom, but I think 
the more this system goes on, the less reliable and stable it will be. So you'll, you'll have more people just, you know, creating solutions to problems um, on their own. And a lot of that will be, um, you know, pr producing their own food on, on, on an individual and, and community level. Um, and, you know, with the thing with automation is, yeah, you, you might end up with us having a lot more leisure time to do some more like, you know, artistic and, you know, our craft goods and producing our own food or, you know, we don't, we, me, you and somebody else, we own a, a, a couple of robots and they produce this widget and the people buy this widget. And so now me and you got all times, all kinds of time to farm and, and do podcasts and teach people how to grow food. And you know what I mean? Like do things that we like doing. Cause we, you know, our work is automated now and we just own, you know, part of a robot. So it, it might be the case that, you know, automation could go either way to where it creates a lot more leisure time for us while um, we own like stock or something in a, in a, in a, a robot cooperative to where it's you know supplying us with dividends to make a living and we can do um you know um like i said you know, other things with our time to either you know buy sell or trade or just for fun or or whatever we want to do i i think automation a lot of people get real doom and gloom about it but i think that um it's going to have its upsides as well like there's going to be some upsets in the short term with people losing their jobs. Right. But I think, uh, and I'm not downplaying that at all. That's, that really sucks. But um, in the, in kind of the long term, I think it's going to create more leisure and abundance for most of us. Um, but yeah, uh, that's that being said, the big debate. That's the big debate that we have. Like the big capitalism debate is like how, does does what I understand to be late stage capital? I don't know how other like, communists use this term, but does what I understand to be late stage communism, sorry, capitalism, actually allow this to occur, or do they hold on to their you know positions of privilege and their, and their profits, but kicking and screaming and, and and prevent people from realizing the benefit of technological progress and low capital outlays for getting into production because that's that's the whole point is that is that in such a heavily regulated industry are we able to in all, all regulated industries but just one that's so incredibly heavily regulated is food um a lot for safety reasons but for uh, plenty of other reasons as well um do are we able to redevote ourselves and this goes like i said to other things too read redevote ourselves to doing things on like a, a local small scale or maybe artisanal customized level or are they going to like hold on to their their positions in the economy and not let go you know kicking and screaming without a fight i think both so they're gonna they're gonna try to do everything they can and this is true for every industry right um they're going to try to hold on to their um, position of power, these, you know, the corporate giants and the state. But it's getting to a point, especially with tech advances, that it's been, it's, 
becoming increasing more increasingly difficult to do that and easier for us to sort of create other you know other things other institutions other systems of production other tech other manufacturing other product uh, food production whatever the it's this is true across the board not just in you know food production food production is probably one of the easiest to just sort of circumvent these corporate titans but even in terms of like manufacturing and everything else um they're going to try to hold on and they will probably still hold a great deal of power but it's going to simultaneously become more easy for us even with all the automation and even with them owning the ip on the automation it's not going to be they're not going to be able to stop you know the um a bunch of people just uh figuring something else out they never have been very good at doing that and enforcing it and really the only hold the strongest hold they have is intellectual property and um that is slipping away it's becoming increasingly less um enforceable intellectual property it's to a point where um you know all it's um they're they're just all they're almost giving up in a lot of cases and everyone can get whatever they want when it comes to intellectual property if they want to if they do a little digging so um when it comes to like things like manufacturing, you know, as these materials and machines get cheaper, uh, they're not going to be able to stop, a, you know, all these people, every person in their garage. Um, it, you know, it's the same thing with 3D printing, but um, they, they just can't stop everyone from doing that. There's no way, you know, once, once these things become like cheap enough to where everyone can just buy one and produce things in their garage or, you know, we're worried about automation or robots or all these kind of things. Once they become like the plans of those become readily available and there's some kid making robots in his garage, like it's, there's nothing that can be done about that. They so, are. Your average kid isn't, your average kid in a lot of high schools is like, like the gifted program has been replaced by like the robotics program. This is years ago. Yes. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I think the one thing that I want to point out is that uh, the one thing to add to the thing, the way you're describing this new technology is not only is it super cheap, and I think that's the most pervasive thing, but it's like also open source. That's a big deal. A lot of this is just open source, and there's nothing you can do about it in that case. Right, and and that's why I'm I'm that's why I'm optimistic. You know, yes, things are going to get bad, and it's going to be these people are going to you know smash their fist and try to clamp down and and try to maintain control you know these people are almost more dangerous when they're losing control because they'll lash out you know if they're comfortable in control they're they're arguably less dangerous so it's not to say that the state and these corporate giants are not you know that it's not they're not going to be a problem like there's not going to be problems going forward it might get might get worse before it gets better but um you know uh, how does Brian Sovereign put it? You know, we can carve out spaces in the cracks. And I think going forward, that is going to be very, not only easier to do, but the, most likely for more people, um, the the, mo the most obvious answer, even for people that were not anarchists, but people who are just, um, the, the system has failed them in one way or another, or um, 
it just they don't feel it serves them anymore and they're they say screw it and they're they you know download some plans to make a robot in their garage on the internet and say screw ip and they're just making widgets because they lost their job or you know things got too expensive where they were or you know it's just I think um, the economic incentives are going to be in place to where it, it drives people in that direction uh, going forward. So this is what you hear from like um, like classically liberal and neoliberal libertarians and people to kind of deal with this economic matters is um, kind of poo-pooing the idea from whatever political direction that this automation thing is going to be a problem and the market won't won't um you know work it work the issue out and uh figure something out and i think they're wrong from i don't think they really put forth anywhere near as well as we do what probably because we're being very broad and not trying to get the design the bike shed we're we're, we're, i think we're describing the tendencies by which that will occur i think the future is low capital and and largely open source i don't want to just sound like uh kevin Carson Stan here, but like that's, you know, I mean, he gave me a lot of the information and it's back, been backed up by a lot that I've learned since then. Um, so I guess what we have to hope for is the curve of like automation making labor redundant is uh, just a, for lack of the right terminology is kind of the rate is uh, it happens at a rate which kind of matches the uh proliferation of this open source, you know, low capital kind of like distributed technology. And I, I, I think we can hope to see that. And largely there'll be like market incentives to allow that to occur. But I think so far we're at a place where they could kind of match up. And hopefully I think that that's the way things can work out. No, I agree. And actually we should, we should wrap it up right there. That that was a good, that was very well put. Um, yeah. And I, I definitely agree with what you just said. Um, but do anything else you want to add before we just kind of wrap this up? We should probably, I, I kind of got to go, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I should go too. Um, I think this has been a great conversation and I think uh, it was really good. Little pro- I, I like this idea, but we had the prompt, but we went into a be- way better direction. I think. That yeah, I think really so too. Because I, I didn't come into this conversation, even with all the ideas, all synthesized that we kind of put together here. And I think, um, yeah, I think this has been a, a great conversation. And if we can, you know, find a guest that's actually doing these things already in as much as we have in our, we, we have we definitely have, but I think we can kind of find some more guests that are doing things besides obviously you with homesteads. Yeah. I am. But- I am the guest that's doing things. But <laughs> right. uh, but no, I know a bunch of homesteaders we could get on if we want to do that. Yeah, yeah. But I think we got the economics down, and I think I don't know, man. Uh, wow, I've I've learned a lot just by having this back and forth with you. So great conversation. Oh, excellent. Well, um, well, find us. Um, I'm Sek Magora everywhere: Twitter, Discord, Telegram. Also, buy our shirts and. Um, I our shirts, yes, yeah. they're cool. They're really good. They, I love. They turned out way better than I expected. No, they're really good quality, and uh, it's a cool design. So, but yeah, buy our shirts and 
Um, check out our Patreon. I'm, I'm already downloading co- content or uploading content to the Patreon. So, um, so where are they, they going to be able to get us on Patreon? Um, what do you mean? Like, what's the link or whatever? Um, I think that if you go to Patreon slash Agora the podcast, it will come up. But the link is You're putting it all over our social media, folks. So I know I'm pulling that back up. Um, it's just the um, the I'd have to send you the link because it's it's like a series of numbers after Patreon. So, uh, but I think that if you put um, Patreon slash Agora the podcast, it will come up. Um, I can't give you the link that I'm looking at on my laptop because that's the creator link. But um, it's all good. Yeah, it's check our Twitter and check yep, our it's everywhere uh, yeah. Telegram feed. It's it's in both of those, uh, probably in the Discord if if we still have that. So, um, yeah, okay. It's in the Discord and it's in the um, um, Telegram and it's all over the Twitter. So uh, you can find it. Um, also, I, I made a, a uh, there's exclusive uh, groups on both de- Telegram and Discord for uh, patrons as well. So you'll get access to those if you join the Patreon. Um, but no, this was fun. Um, I feel like there was something else we had to announce, but I can't remember it now. Oh, Neighborhood Power's out, but we didn't, we uh, we announced that last time. Um, that's been a big hit. Do you want to plug Shane's? Um Shane's printing. I uh, was it. Can oh. um, I think I mentioned that last episode, but um, Shane from the Vanu podcast uh, republished community technology, even though it's out of print for all this time. And uh, that book is available on his website, libertyunderattack.com. And uh, I actually wrote the foreword for that book as well. So, um, so yeah, I'm published in a Carl Hess book, which is nice. Um, but no, I'm glad to see that book um, in circulation again. It's it's very good. Um, so now look, you know, look forward to. We got a lot of projects on the horizon. So look forward to a lot of for coming from us. So. Yeah, right on. Okay, well, guys, thanks you for listening. Um, we welcome your feedback and interacting us with us on Twitter, Agora underscore Pod. That's Agora underscore Pod, and you can. You can get in our uh, Telegram groups. Join our Patreon, get in our exclusive groups, exclusive content, and we will be taking questions for our question and answers, I'm sure, very soon. Peace, guys.